Chapter Eleven of Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mark DeSanzo. Charles the Bold, Last Duke of Burgundy, by Ruth Putnam. Chapter Eleven, The Meeting at Peronne, fourteen sixty-eight my brother i beseech you in the name of our affection and of our alliance come to my aid come as speedily as you can come without delay written by the own hand of your brother francis such were the concluding sentences of a fervent appeal from the duke of brittany that followed charles into holland whither he had hastened after the completion of the nuptial festivities the titular duke of normandy found that his royal brother was in no wise inclined to fulfil the solemn pledges made at conflans his ally francis duke of brittany was plunged into terror lest the king should invade his duchy and punish him for his share in the proceedings that had led up to that compact it is in this year that louis the eleventh begins to show his real astuteness very clever are his methods of freeing himself from the distasteful obligations assumed towards his brother they had been easy to make when a hostile army was encamped at the gates of paris then normandy weighed lightly when balanced by the desire to separate the allies that separation accomplished the point of view changed relinquish normandy restored by the hand of heaven to its natural liege lord after its long retention by the english kings louis's intention gradually became plain and he proved that he was no longer in the isolated position in which the war for public weal had found him he had won to himself many adherents while the general tone towards charles of burgundy had changed in april fourteen sixty eight the stade general of france assembled at tours in response to royal writs issued in the preceding february the chancellor juvencal opened the session with a tedious long-winded harangue calculated to weary rather than to illuminate the assembly then the king took the floor and delivered a telling speech with trenchant and well-chosen phrases he set forth the reasons why normandy ought to be an intrinsic part of the french realm the advantages of centralization the weakness of decentralization were skilfully drawn the matter was one affecting the kingdom as a whole in perpetuity it was not for the temporal interests of the present incumbent of regal authority who had only part therein for the brief space of his mortal journey Louis's words are pathetic indeed, as he calls himself a sojourner in France, on voyage through life, as though the fact itself of his likeness to the rest of ephemeral mankind was novel to his audience. He reiterated the statement that the interests involved were theirs, not his. It was a goodly body which listened to Louis. The greatest feudal lords, indeed, were not present, but many of the lesser nobility were, while sixty-four towns sent, all told, about one hundred twenty-eight deputies these hearers gave willing attention to the thesis that it was a burning shame for the french people to pay heavy taxes simply to restrain the insolent peers from rebelling against their sovereign those noble scions of the royal stock whose bounden duty it was to protect the state and the head of the royal house what was the reason for their selfish insubordination the root of the evil lay in the past when extensive territories had been carelessly alienated and their petty overlords permitted to acquire too much independence of the crown so that the monarchy was threatened with disruption there was more to the same purpose and then the deputies deliberated on the answer to make to this speech from the throne it was an answer to louise's mind an answer that showed the value of suggestion 
charles the wise had thought that an estate yielding an income of twelve thousand livres was all sufficient for a prince of the blood louis the eleventh was more generous he was ready to allow his brother charles a pension of sixty thousand livres but as to the government of normandy why no king either from fraternal affection or from fear of war was justified in committing that province to other hands than his own the stat general dissolved in perfect accord with the monarch and a definite order was left in the king's hands declaring that it was the judgment of the towns represented that concentration of power was necessary for the common welfare of france public opinion declared that national weakness would be inevitable if the feudatories were unbridled in their centrifugal tendencies above all normandy must be retained by the king on no consideration should louis leave it to his brother before the dissolution of the assembly there was some discussion as to the probable attitude of the great nobles in regard to this platform of centralization very timid were the comments on charles of burgundy would he not perhaps be an excellent mediator between the lesser dukes and the king would it not be better to suspend action until his opinion was known etc but at large there was less reserve the statements were emphatic naught but mischief had ever come to france from burgundy the present duke's father and grandfather had wrought all the ill that lay in their power as for charles his illimitable greed was notorious let him rest content with his paternal heritage ghent and bruges were his did he want paris too let the king recover the towns on the somme rightfully they were french louis made no scruple in pleading the invalidity of the treaty of conflans because it had been wrested from him by undue influence and this royal sentiment was repeated here and there with growing conviction of its justice while charles was occupied with the preparation for his wedding louis was engaged in levying troops and mobilizing his forces and these preparations continued throughout the summer of fourteen sixty eight naturally news of this zeal directed against the dukes of normandy and of brittany followed the traveller in holland charles was in high dudgeon and wrote at once to the king reminding him that these seigneurs were his allies and demanding that nothing should be wrought to their detriment conscious that his remonstrance might be futile and urged on by appeals from the dukes charles hastened to cut short his stay in holland so that he might move nearer to the scene of louis activities his purpose in going to the north had been twofold to receive homage as count of holland and zealand and to use his new dignity to obtain large sums of money for which he saw immediate need if he were to hold louis to the terms wrested from him in early july charles had crossed from schluss in flanders to middleburg and thence made his progress through the cities of zealand receiving homage as he went next he passed to the hague where the nobles and civic deputies of holland met him and gave him their oaths of fealty on july twenty first fifty-six towns were represented and there were also deputies from eight bailiwicks in the islands of tessel and Viringen. it is noteworthy comments a dutch historian that the people's oath was given first the older custom was that the count should give the first pledge while the people followed suit as soon as he was thus legally invested with sovereign power charles demanded a large ed from holland and zealand four hundred eighty thousand crowns of fifteen stivers for himself thirty two thousand crowns as pin-money for his new consort sixteen thousand crowns as donations for various servants and forty eight hundred crowns towards his travelling expenses the total sum was five hundred thirty two thousand eight hundred crowns the share of holland and west friesland was three hundred seventy two thousand eight hundred crowns 
and of zealand sixteen thousand crowns to be paid within seven and a half years in holland harlem paid the heaviest quota three thousand five hundred forty nine crowns and schiedam the smallest three hundred fifty crowns while dordrecht and the south holland villages were assessed at thirty nine thousand two hundred crowns and the remainder was divided among the other cities and villages there was considerable opposition to the assessments in many cases the new imposts upon provisions pressed very heavily on the poor villagers having obtained promise of the grant however charles left all further details in its regard to the local officials and returned to brussels at the beginning of august to make his own preparation for by that time louis intentions of evading the treaty of conflans were plain though there still fluttered a thin veil of friendship between the cousins gathering what forces he could mobilize ordering them to meet him later charles moved westward and took up his quarters at peronne on the river somme louis had been bold in his utterance to the stat general as to his perfect right to ignore the treaty of conflans to dispossess his brother and to bring the great feudatories to terms in the summer of fourteen sixty eight he made advances towards accomplishing the last named desideratum brittany was invaded by royal troops but his victory was diplomatic rather than military as duke francis peaceably consented to renounce his close alliances with burgundy and england nominally at least further he agreed to urge charles of france to submit his claims to normandy to the arbitration of nicholas of calabria and the constable st paul charles of burgundy remained to be settled with on some different basis and in regard to him louis the eleventh took a resolve which terrified his friends and caused the world to wonder as to his sanity all previous attempts at mediation having failed st paul was among the many who tried the king determined to be his own messenger to parley with his burgundian cousin it is curious how small was his measure of personal pride he had been negligent of his personal safety at conflans but even then charles had better reason to respect and protect him than in fourteen sixty eight after louis had manoeuvred for three years in every direction to harass and undermine the young duke's power and when too the latter was aware of half of the machinations and suspicious of more yet louis's famous visit to peronne was no sudden hare-brained enterprise there is much evidence that he nursed the project for many weeks without giving any intimation of his intentions nor was the situation as strange as it appears looking backward charles had doubtless made all preparations to combat louis if need were and had chosen peronne for his headquarters with the express purpose of being able to watch france and at the same time he had published abroad that his military preparations were solely for the purpose of keeping his obligations to his allies now these obligations were momentarily removed by the action of those same allies francis of brittany had entered into amicable relations with his sovereign young charles of france had accepted arbitration to settle the fraternal relations of the royal brothers while the correspondence between louis and liege was still unknown to the duke of burgundy for the moment the latter therefore had no definite quarrel with the french king but he was not in the least anxious for an interview with him charles was as far as ever from understanding his cousin even without definite knowledge of louis's efforts to make friends in the netherlands charles suspected enough to turn his youthful distrust of the man's character into mature conviction that friendship between them was impossible but he could not refuse the royal overtures his letter of safe conduct to his self-invited visitor bears the date of october eighth and runs as follows Quote, monseigneur i commend myself to your good graces 
sire if it be your desire to come to this city of peronne in order that we may talk together i swear and i promise you by my faith and on my honour that you may come remain and return in safety to shawnee or noyon according to your pleasure and as often as it shall please you freely and openly without any hindrance offered either to you or to any of your people by me or by any other for any cause that now exists or that may hereafter arise guillaume de biche acted as confidential messenger between duke and king he it was whom charles had dismissed from his own service in fourteen fifty six at his father's instance from that time on the man had been in louis's household deep in his secrets it was said and certainly admitted to his privacy to an extraordinary degree this letter was written by charles in the presence of biche through whose hand it passed directly to the king by october louis was at ham prepared to move as soon as the safe conduct arrived no time was lost after its receipt on sunday october ninth the king started out accompanied by the bishop of avranches his confessor by the duke of bourbon cardinal Bellou, st paul a few more nobles and about eighty archers of the scottish guard as he rode towards peron philip of crevacoeur with two hundred lances met him on the way to act as his escort to the presence of the duke who awaited his guest on the banks of a stream a short distance out of peronne st paul was the first of the royal party to meet the duke as herald of louis's approach then charles rode forward to greet the traveller as he came within sight of his cousin he bowed low to his saddle and was about to dismount when louis his head bared prevented his action fervent were the kisses pressed by the kingly lips upon the duke's cheeks while louis's arm rested lovingly about the latter's neck then he turned graciously to the bystanding nobles and greeted them by name but his cousinly affection was not yet satisfied again he embraced charles and held him half as long as before in his arms how pleasant he was and how full of confidence towards this trusted cousin of his the cavalcade fell into line again with the two princes in the middle and made a stately entry into peronne at a little after midday the chief building then and the natural place to lodge a royal visitor was the castle but it was in sorry repair ill-furnished and affording less comfort than a neighbouring house belonging to a city official here rooms had been prepared for the king and a few of his suite the others being quartered through the town at the door charles took his leave and louis entered alone with cardinal Bellou and the attendants he had chosen to keep near him these latter were nearly all of inferior birth and were treated by their master with a familiarity very astonishing to the stately burgundians louis entered the room assigned for his use walked to the window and looked out into the street the sight that met his view was most disquieting a party of cavaliers were on the point of entering the castle they were gentlemen just arrived from burgundy with their lances in response to a summons issued long before the present visit was anticipated as he looked down on the troops louis recognized several men who had no cause to love him or to cherish his memory there was for instance the queen's brother philippe de bresse who had led a party against louis's own sister yolande of savoie at a time of parley this philip had trusted the sincerity of his brother-in-law's profession and had visited him to obtain his mediation the king had violated both the specified safe conduct and ambassadorial equity alike and had thrown de bresse into the citadel of loche where he suffered a long confinement before he succeeded in making his escape he was a burgundian in sympathy as well as in race 
but with him on that october day louis noticed various frenchmen who had fallen under royal displeasure from one cause or another and had saved their liberty by flight renouncing their allegiance to him forever four there were in all who wore the cross of st andrew approaching peronne as they had from the south these newcomers had ridden in at the southern gates without intimation of this royal visitation extraordinary until they were almost face to face with guest and host their arrival was quote, a half of a quarter of an hour later than that of the king end quote. when philip de bresse and his friends learned what was going on they hastened to the duke's chambers quote, unquote, to give him reverence monseigneur de bresse was the spokesman in begging the duke that the three above named should be assured of their security notwithstanding the king's presence at Paronne of security such as he had pledged them in burgundy and promised for the hour when they should arrive at his court on their part they were ready to serve him towards all and against all which petition the duke granted orally quote, the force conducted by the marshal of burgundy was encamped without the gates and the said marshal spoke no ill of the king nor did the others i have mentioned it was however a situation in which apprehension was not confined to the men of lower station to louis looking down from his window there seemed dire menace in the mere presence of these persons who had heavy grievances against him and the unfortified private house seemed slight protection against their possible vengeance here charles might disavow injury to him as something happening quite without his knowledge on ducal soil the safest place was assuredly under shelter patently ducal there there would be no doubt of responsibility did misfortune happen straightway the king sent a messenger to charles asking for quarters within the castle the request was granted and the uneasy guest passed through the massive portals between a double line of burgundian men-at-arms it was no cheerful pleasant palatial dwelling-place this little old castle of Peronne. so thick were the walls that vain had been all assaults against it designed for a fortress rather than a residence it had been repeatedly used as a prison and the air of the whole was tainted by the dungeons under its walls dungeons which had seen many unwilling lodgers five centuries earlier than this date charles the simple had languished to death in one of the towers this change of arrangement or rather the disquieting reason for the change undoubtedly clouded the peacefulness of the occasion yet outward calm was preserved Camine asserts that the two princes directed their people to behave amicably to each other and that the commands were scrupulously obeyed for two or three days the desired conferences took place between charles and louis the king's wishes were perfectly plain he wanted charles to forsake all other alliances and to pledge himself to support his feudal chief first and foremost from all attacks of his enemies the duke of brittany had submitted to his liege if the duke of burgundy would only accept terms equally satisfactory in their way the pernicious alliance between the two would vanish to the wheel of french unity apparently the first discussion was heard by none except the cardinal Ballou and guillaume de biche charles was willing to pledge allegiance and to promise aid to his feudal chief but under limitations that weakened the value of his words nothing could induce him to renounce alliance with other princes for mutual aid did they need it there was a second interview on the following day charles held tenaciously to his position then there came a sudden alteration in the situation a strange dramatic shifting of the duke's point of view the city of liege had submitted perforce to the behests of her imperious neighbor 
but the citizens had never ceased to hope that his unwelcome protection might be dispensed with that by the aid of french troops they might eventually wrest themselves free from the burgundian incubus in spite of all promises to charles secret negotiations between the anti-burgundian party and louis the eleventh had never ceased the latter never refused to admit the importunate embassies to his presence he was glad to keep in touch with the city even in its ruined condition he sent envoys as well as received them and Camin states definitely that in making his plan to visit peronne the fact of a confidential commission recently dispatched to liege had wholly slipped the king's mind in that town the duke's lieutenant umbercourt had been left to supervise the humiliating changes ordered and the work of demolition was the only industry other ordinary business was at a standstill for a period there was a sullen silence in the streets and the church bells were at rest in april a special legate from the pope arrived to see whether ecclesiastical affairs could not be put on a better footing it was about the same time that the stat general were meeting at tours that under the direction of this legate onofrio de santa croce the cathedral was purified with holy water and louis of bourbon celebrated his very first mass though he had been seated on the episcopal throne for twelve years then onofrio tried to mediate between the city and the duke of burgundy to bruges he went to see charles and obtained permission to draft a project for the re-establishment of the civic government to be submitted to the duke for approval if onofrio thought he had reformed the bishop by forcing him into performing his priestly rites he soon learned his mistake that ecclesiastic speedily disgusted his flock by his ill-timed festivities and then forsook the city and sailed away to maestricht in a gaily painted barge with gay companions to pass the summer in frivolous amusements suited to his dissolute tastes such was the state of affairs when the report of louis's extensive military preparations encouraged the liegeois to hope that he was to take the field openly against the duke about the beginning of september troops of forlorn and desperate exiles began to return to the city they came to be sure with shouts of vive le roi but as a matter of fact they seemed willing to make any accommodation for the sake of being permitted to remain Quote, better any fate at home than to live like wild beasts with the recollection that we had once been men to make a long story short onofrio again endeavoured to rouse the bishop to a sense of his duty again he tried to make terms for the exiles and to re-establish a tenable condition it was useless louis of bourbon refused to approach nearer to liege than tongres and declined to meet the advances of his despairing subjects it was just at this moment that fresh emissaries arrived from louis dispatched as already stated before charles had consented to prolong the truce excited by their presence the liegeois once more roused themselves to action a force of two thousand was gathered at liege and advanced by night upon tongres also without walls surrounded the house where lay their bishop and forced him to return to liege violence there was and loss of life but as a matter of fact the mob respected the person of their bishop and of umbercourt the chief burgundian official this event happened on october ninth the very day that louis rode recklessly into peronne on wednesday october eleventh the news of the fray reached peronne but news greatly exaggerated by rumour bishop papal legate the burgundian lieutenant all had been ruthlessly murdered in the very presence of louis's own envoys who had aided and abetted the hideous crime to follow the story of an eye-witness 
some said that everyone was dead others asserted the contrary for such advertisements are never reported after one sort at length others came who had seen certain canons slain and supposed the bishop to be one of the number as well as the said seigneur de umbercourt and all the rest further they said that they had seen the king's ambassadors in the attacking company and mentioned them by name all this was repeated to the duke who forthwith believed it and fell into an extreme fury saying that the king had come thither to abuse him and gave commands to shut the gates of the castle and of the town alleging a poor enough excuse namely that he did this on account of the disappearance of a little casket containing some good rings and money the king finding himself confined in the castle a small one at that and having seen a force of archers standing before the gate was terrified for his person the more so that he was lodged in the neighbourhood of a tower where a certain count de vermandois had caused the death of one of his predecessors as king of france at that time i was still with the duke and served him as chamberlain and had free access to his chamber when i would for such was the usage in this household the said duke as soon as he saw the gates closed ordered all to leave his presence and said to a few of us that stayed with him that the king had come on purpose to betray him and that he himself had tried to avoid his coming with all his strength and that the meeting had been against his taste then he proceeded to recount the news from liege how the king had pulled all the wires through his ambassadors and how his people had been slain he was fearfully excited against the king i veritably believe that if at that hour he had found those to whom he could appeal ready to sympathize with him and to advise him to work the king some mischief he would have done so at the least he would have imprisoned him in the great tower none were present when the words fell from the duke but myself and two grooms of the chamber one of whom was named charles de vizin a native of dijon an honest fellow in good credit with his master we aggravated nothing but sought to appease the duke as much as in us lay soon he tried the same phrases on others and a report of them ran through the city and penetrated to the very apartment of the king who was greatly terrified as was every one because of the danger that they saw imminent and because of the great difficulty in soothing a quarrel when it was commenced between such great princes assuredly they were blameworthy in failing to notifying their absent servants of this projected meeting great inconveniences were bound to arise from this negligence such is camin's narrative eyewitness though he was it must be remembered that when he wrote the account of this famous interview it was long after the event and when his point of view was necessarily coloured by his service with louis delightful however are the historian's own reflections that he intersperses with his plain narrative to his mind the only period when it is safe for princes to meet is quote, in their youth when their minds are bent on pleasure then they may amuse themselves together but after they are come to man's estate and are desirous each of overreaching the other such interviews do but increase their mutual hatred even if they incur no personal peril which is well-nigh impossible far wiser is it for them to adjust their differences through sage and good servants as i have said at length elsewhere in these memoirs then our chronicler proceeds to give numerous instances of disastrous royal interviews before returning to his subject and to Perron. Quote, I was moved, he adds again at the beginning of his new chapter, to tell the princes my opinion of such meetings. Thus the gates were closed and guarded, and two or three days passed by. However, the Duke of Burgundy would not see the king, nor had Louis's servants entry to the castle except a few, and those only through the wicket, nor did the Duke see any of his people who had influence over him. 
the first day there was consternation throughout the city by the second day the duke was a little calmed down he held a council meeting all day and the greater part of the night the king appealed to every one who could possibly aid him he was lavish in his promises and ordered fifteen thousand crowns to be given where it might count but the officer in charge of the disbursement of this sum acquitted himself ill and retained a part as the king learned later the king was especially afraid of his former servants who had come with the army from burgundy as i mentioned above men who were now in the service of the duke of normandy diverse were the opinions in the above-mentioned council meeting some held that the safe conduct accorded to the king protected him seeing that he fairly observed the peace as it had been stated in writing others rudely urged his capture without further ceremony while others again advised sending for his brother the duke of normandy and concluding with him a peace to the advantage of all the princes of france they who gave this advice thought that in case it was adopted the king should be restrained of his liberty further it was against all precedent to free so great a seigneur when he had committed so grave an offence this last argument so nearly prevailed that i saw a man booted and spurred ready to depart with a packet of letters addressed to monseigneur of normandy being in brittany and stayed only for the duke of burgundy's letter however this came to naught the king made overtures to leave as hostages the duke of bourbon the cardinal his brother and the constable with a dozen others while he should be permitted to return to compiegne after peace was concluded he promised that the liegeois should repair their mischief or he would declare himself their foe the appointed hostages were profuse in their offers to immolate themselves at least they were in public i do not know whether they would have said the same things in private i rather suspect not and in truth i believe that those who were left would never have returned on the third night after the arrival of the news the duke never undressed but lay down two or three times on his bed and then rose and walked up and down such was his way when he was troubled i lay that night in his chamber and talked with him from time to time in the morning his fury was greater than ever his tone very menacing and he seemed ready to go to any extreme however he finally brought himself to say that if the king would swear the peace and would accompany him to liege to help avenge monseigneur of liege his own kinsman he would be satisfied then he suddenly betook himself to the king's chamber and expressed himself to that effect the king had a friend who warned him assuring him that he should suffer no ill if he would concede these two points did he do otherwise he ran grave risk graver than he would ever incur again when the duke entered the royal presence his voice trembled so agitated was he and on the verge of breaking into a passion he assumed a reverential attitude but rough were mien and word as he demanded whether the king would keep the treaty of peace as it had been drafted and whether he was ready to swear to it yes was the king's response in truth nothing had been added to the agreement made before paris or at least little as far as the duke of burgundy was concerned as regarded the duke of normandy it was stipulated that if he would renounce that province he should have champagne and brie besides other neighboring territories for his share then the duke asked if the king would accompany him to avenge the outrage committed upon his cousin the bishop Quote, to which demand the king gave assent as soon as the peace was sworn he was quite satisfied to go to liege and with a small or large escort just as the duke preferred this answer pleased the duke immensely in was brought the treaty out of the king's coffer was taken the piece of the true cross the very one carried by saint charlemagne called the cross of victory and thereupon the two swore the peace this was now october fourteenth 
in a minute the bells pealed out their joy throughout Peron, and all men were glad it hath pleased the king since to attribute the credit of this pacification to me there was undoubtedly an immense sense of relief in Peron when this degree of accommodation was reached the duke was unwilling however to have too much rejoicing in his domains until he had ascertained for himself the state of liege among the letters dispatched from Peron this october fourteenth was the following to the magistrates of ypres Quote, dear and well-beloved friends considering that we have to-day made peace and convention with monseigneur the king and that for this reason you might be inclined to let off fireworks and make other manifestations of joy we hasten to advise you that our pleasure is you shall not permit fireworks or assemblies in our town of ypres on account of the said peace until we have subdued the people of liege and avenged the said outrage described above this with god's aid we intend to do we are on the point of departure with all our forces for liege beloved may our lord protect you written in our castle of peron october fourteenth fourteen sixty eight a certain g rupel conveyed his own impressions to the magistrates of ypres possibly managing to slip them under the same cover quote, Today, at about ten o'clock, peace was concluded between the king and Monseigneur, and also between the king and the Duke of Berry. Here, bells are ringing and the Te Deum is sung. It is generally believed that Monseigneur will depart tomorrow. God deserves thanks for the result, for I assure you that last night the outlook was not clear. The king wrote as follows to his confidential lieutenant Peronne, October fourteenth monseigneur the grand master you are already informed how there has been discussion in my council and that of my brother-in-law of burgundy as to the best manner of adjusting certain differences between him and me it went so far that in order to arrive at a conclusion i came to this town of peronne here we have busied ourselves with the requisitions passing between us so that to-day we have thanks to our lord in the presence of all the nobles of the blood prelates and other great and notable personages in great numbers both from my suite and from his sworn peace solemnly on the true cross and promised to aid defend and succor each other for ever also on the same cross we have ratified the treaty of arras with its corrections and other points which seemed productive of peace and amity immediately after this the duke of burgundy ordered thanksgivings in the churches of his lands and in this town he has already had great solemnity and because my brother of burgundy has heard that the liegeois have taken prisoner my cousin the bishop of liege whom he is determined to deliver as quickly as possible he has besought me as a favour to him and also because the bishop is my kinsman whom i ought to aid to accompany him to liege not far from here this i have agreed to and have chosen as my escort a portion of the troops under monseigneur the constable in the hopes of a speedy return by the aid of god and because it is for my weal and that of my subjects i write to you at once because i am sure you will be pleased and that you will order like solemnities moreover monseigneur the grand master as i lately wrote to you pray as quickly as possible disband my arriere bain together with the free lances and do every possible thing for the mass of poor folks appoint well-to-do men as leaders in every bailiwick and district above all see to it that they do not indulge in any new and startling conduct that done if you wish to come to bohan to be nearer me i would be glad so as to be able to provide for any further action that may arise written at peron october fourteenth 
Roy Merin, to our dear and beloved cousin, the Count of Damartin, Grand Master of France. Damartin thought that this letter was phrased for the purpose of passing Charles's censorship. He took the liberty of disregarding his master's orders. The troops were not disbanded, and he held himself in readiness to go to fetch the errant monarch if he did not return speedily from the enemy's country. His letter to the king and the unwritten additions delivered by his confidential messengers terrified his liege, lest too much zeal on his behalf in France might work him ill in Liège. A week later, Louis writes again. Namur, October 22nd. Quote, Monseigneur the Grand Master, I have received your letter by Sieur de Bouchage. Be assured that I make this journey to Liège under no constraint, and that I never took any journey with such good heart as I do this, since God and Our Lady have given me grace to be friends with Monseigneur of Burgundy. Be sure that never shall our rabble over there take arms against me. Monseigneur the Grand Master, my friend, you have proved that you love me, and you have done me the greatest service that you can, and there is another service that you can do. The people of Monseigneur of Burgundy think that I mean to deceive them, and people there, in France, think that I am a prisoner. Distrust between the two would be my ruin. Monseigneur, as to the quarters of your men, you know what we planned, you and I, touching the action of Armagnac. It seems to me that you ought to send your people straight ahead in that direction, and I will furnish you four or five captains as soon as I am out of this, and you can make what choice you will. Monsieur the Grand Master, my friend, come, I beg you, to Léon, and await me there. Send me a messenger the minute you arrive, and I will let you have frequent news. Be assured that as soon as the Liégeois are subdued, on the morrow I will depart, for Monseigneur of Burgundy is resolved to urge me to go as soon as he has finished his work at Liège, and he desires my return more than I do. François Dunois will tell you what good cheer we are making. Adieu, Monseigneur, etc. Written at Namur, October 22nd. Louis Toussaint. To our dear and beloved cousin, the Count of Damartin, Grand Master of France, end quote. Letters of the same date to Rochefoucauld and others also declare that Louis goes most gladly with his dear brother of Burgundy, and that the affair will not require much time. To Cardinal Ballou he writes only a few words, telling him that the messenger will be more communicative. Between Peron and Namur did the party turn aside to visit the young Duchess of Burgundy, either at Esdin or at Air? Such is the conjecture of a learned Belgian editor, and he carries his surmise further in suggesting that in this brief sojourn was performed Chastelin's mystery of the Peace of Peronne. Perhaps these verses, if put in the mouths of Louis and Charles, may have pleased the princely spectators of the dramatic poem. Mutual admiration was the keynote of these flowery speeches, while the other dramatist Persani expressed unstinted admiration for the wonderful deed accomplished by these two pure souls, who have sworn peace when they might have brought dire war on their innocent subjects. Quote, Never did David, nor Ogier, nor Roland, that proud knight, nor the great Charlemagne, nor the proud Duke of Mayence, nor Mongleve, the heir from whom issued noble fruit, nor King Arthur, nor Olivet, nor Rousselin, nor Chabonnier, in their dozens of victories, approach or touch with hand or foot the work I treat of. The King speaks. Charles, be assured that Louis will be the re-establisher and provider of all that touches your honor and peace between you and him, that he will ever be appreciator of you and avenger, a nourisher of joy and love in repairing all that my predecessor did. The Duke speaks. 
and charles who loves his honour as much as his soul wishes nothing better than to serve you and this realm and to extol your house for i know that is the reason why i have glory and reputation then if it please god and our lady my body will keep from blame one stanza indeed uttered by louis strikes a note of doubt quote, charles so many debates may occur so many incidents and accidents in our various actions that a rupture may be dreaded vehemently did the duke repudiate the bare possibility of a new breach between him and his liege the whole is a pain at a love feast if the two together heard their counterfeits express such perfect fidelity how louis the eleventh must have laughed to himself behind his mask of forced courtesy charles on the other hand was quite capable of taking it all seriously wholly unconscious that he had not cut the lion's claws for once and all End of chapter 11